0: You are listening to This Tangled Skein, a monthly podcast about yarn, tea, and Sherlock Not necessarily in that order. This is episode two for January 27th, 2016. 40 years of age. And how would you describe Mr. Sherlock Holmes? The cabman scratched his head. Well, he wasn't altogether such an easy gentleman to describe. I'd put him at forty years of age. And he was of a middle height, two or three inches shorter than you, sir. He was dressed like a tough, and he had a black beard cut square at the end, and a pale face. I don't know as I could say more than that. I should probably apologize for my American accent during that reading from The Hound of the Baskervilles. But believe me, if I tried to do an English accent, you'd need a much bigger apology. That passage is the source of today's episode title, 40 Years of Age. But really, it's because today, January 27th, happens to be my 40th birthday. Welcome to This Tangled Skein, a monthly podcast about yarn, tea, and Sherlockiana. Not necessarily in that order. I'm your host, Beth. Beth. Show notes can be found at thistangledskane.com, and I can be found on most forms of social media as Plexippa. that's P as in Porlock, L-E-X-I-P-P-A. I probably should have used a quote from the Musgrave Ritual, the reference to Ricoletti and his abominable wife for today's show title, but we'll get to the abominable bride later. First, let's talk about this month's tea. Today, I am drinking a tea blend available on Adagio. This one was created by Kara McGee, and it's called Watson's Mustache. It's a blend of Irish breakfast, masala chai, and caramel. It has a strong scent of cloves to it, so it smells a lot like gingerbread. Cara's description says that it is a warm, fuzzy tea meant to be taken with a hefty addition of milk. It's very tasty, and it's perfect for these slightly chilly days here in Southern California, and of course the name, Watson's Moustache. When the tea blend was first released on Adagio was a reference to the sad, sad caterpillar-like stash that Martin Freeman wore in The Empty Hearse. So I would just like to congratulate and thank whoever in costuming or makeup was responsible for the much better mustache that our dear Dr. Watson wore in The Abominable Bride. The Abominable Bride, the BBC Sherlock special episode that was released on New Year's Day, has been the big news in the Sherlockian fandom. Of course, at this point, it's sort of old news. But seeing as this fandom has been discussing the same stories for over a century— A few weeks really isn't that long. I happen to love The Abominable Bride. I know that feeling was somewhat polarized when the episode aired, with some people, like me, really, really enjoying it, and some people really, really not. I think a lot of this came down to expectations. If you went into The Abominable Bride expecting a faithful, on-screen adaptation of a Conan Doyle story you were bound to be disappointed. If you were looking for something like Granada Holmes, you were bound to be disappointed because that just isn't what the BBC Sherlock does. When I watch BBC Sherlock, I think of it as fan fiction with a production budget and understand that that's not really a criticism. It's what I love about the show. If you watch and listen to an interview with Mark Gatiss and Stephen Moffat, you can see that they are huge, huge canon fanboys. They love the original material, and like a lot of creators, since those stories first appeared, they couldn't resist playing in that sandbox. So, like a lot of creative people, they said, what if? What if, instead of being born in the 19th century, Sherlock Holmes and John Watson were born in the 20th century? If they were writing this as a story and posting it on Archive of Our Own, it would be tagged alternate universe, or AU, which I always think is an interesting classification, because in my opinion, all fan works are alternate universe works. Matthias Bostrom put this much more eloquently on I Hear of Sherlock recently in his entry on original Holmes and parallel Holmes, where he argues that the only real Sherlock Holmes stories are the ones written by Conan Doyle. Everything else, whether that's Granada or radio plays or fan fiction, is a parallel Holmes. So when The Powers That Be announced that the special episode of BBC Sherlock was going to be set in Victorian times, what I was expecting was sort of what we got, which was Moffat and Gatiss... Writing fan fiction of their own fan fiction. They took their alternate universe, Holmes and Watson, from the 21st century, and put them in an alternate to that alternate, which is now back in the 19th century. So instead of getting closer to the original works, we're actually now two degrees removed. So what we got on New Year's Day. The Abominable Bride, with all of its meta-references bouncing back and forth in time between our modern Holmes and a Victorian representation inside of the modern Holmes' brain, I love. It was everything that I love about the show turned up to 11. Not long before the episode aired, I started listening to an episode of the Three Patch Podcast, their spoiler cast. And I got to the part where they were talking about the Inception horns that they heard in the trailer, the music that reminded them of the film Inception, and that was actually the point where I decided that I didn't really want so many spoilers going in and I turned off the podcast, but I have to say, when I was watching the episode and we got towards the end, I couldn't help but think, wow, good call, ladies. And so here we are, back in the BBC Sherlock hiatus, waiting for series four. While we wait, there is, of course, plenty of other material out there. As I mentioned in episode one, I was about to start reading The 7% Solution by Nicholas Meyer. I did start reading that on New Year's Day, and I finished it not long after, and I enjoyed it immensely. I really didn't know very much about the book going in, so I almost wasn't expecting an actual mystery. So that was a pleasant surprise. I did think it was interesting that with all of the talk about how BBC Sherlock is so fixated on Holmes's drug use, and that wasn't really a big thing, to go back and read this pastiche that's 40 years old, all about Holmes's drug addiction and Watson trying to get him off of the cocaine. I haven't yet watched the film but I will get around to that one of these days. I have started reading Paula Berenstein's middle grade novel, Amanda Lester and the Pink Sugar Conspiracy. This is the first book in a series for middle grade readers about a descendant of Inspector Lestrade. She's an American girl who is more interested in making films than solving crimes, but her parents have decided to send her to a school in England for the descendants of famous detectives anyway. I'm only a few chapters into that, so a review will be forthcoming. Speaking of children's Holmes stories, I was very excited to see that Sherlock Holmes and Children's Literature is one of the proposed panels for the upcoming 221B Con in Atlanta this April. I will be applying to be a panelist, but if I'm not on the panel, you can be sure that I will be in the audience because this is, of course, a topic near and dear to my own heart. I will be sending in my application to the con committee just as soon as I figure out how I am going to make my presentation interesting and memorable for the attendees. The full list of proposed panels is available on the 221B con webpage, and I will link to it in the show notes. In other Sherlockian event news, the BSI weekend was held in New York. I, of course, was not able to be there, but I was following the tweets from here in Southern California. I was possessed by a mad impulse to go in 2017, but then I realized that since I'm already going to 221B Con in April, and I'd like to go to Sherlock Seattle this year in October, a trip to New York next January is probably not going to happen. Maybe in 2018. I would like to congratulate all of the new members of the BSI, including Tim Greer, who is also a member of the John H. Watson Society. Speaking of the John H. Watson Society, and for that matter, fan fiction and pastiche, I'm very excited to share that the newest entry of the monograph series from the Watson Society will be published in late April. It's called Sherlock Holmes and the Challenge of the Blank Page by Leah Gwyn. The official description is this. In Sherlock Holmes and the Challenge of the Blank Page, Leah Gwynn uses observations gleaned from four years of reviewing Sherlockian fiction and many more of reading it to put together an entertaining and useful handbook on how to create a good pastiche. Prospective authors will learn what a good canon faithful story requires, pitfalls to avoid, how to pull off a successful alternative universe, research aids, and various other bits and bobs to help them write a successful further adventure and have fun doing it. Whether your goal is to be a published pasticheur, understand why that otherwise well-written story left you unmoved or unconvinced, or to answer the question of why the pastiche, Sherlock Holmes and the Challenge of the Blank Page will inspire you to write with confidence and read with insight and perception. You can see why I'm totally excited to read this, right? Sherlock Holmes and the Challenge of the Blank Page will be published in late April, but you can order it now and I will... Put the link in the show notes. You can order a PDF digital copy for $10. You can order print copies for $15, including postage within the United States, or $20, including postage outside the United States. I do recommend that if you are interested in getting a copy of this, and you really should be, that you go ahead and order now so that the society has a good idea of how many copies to print up The monograph series is not included as part of the Watson Society membership, but the other two publications that will be coming out in April are. One of those is, of course, the Spring 2016 Watsonian, which is the journal of the John H. Watson Society. It's published twice a year, once in the spring and once in the fall, and it's full of all kinds of articles, pastiche, puzzles, all kinds of fun things, and I highly recommend it. The other volume coming out in April that will be sent to members of the Watson Society but non-members can purchase is the newest entry of the fiction series. It is called The Adventure of the Doctor and the Duelist by Eleanor Gray with illustrations by Basil Chapp. I am so excited about this. The official description is this. Shortly after Sherlock Holmes' unexpected return from the dead, Dr. Evangeline Persano brings a case before the great detective. Her husband, Isadora Persano, a well-known journalist and incorrigible dualist, has gone mad. The only clue was the matchbox in his hand, which contained a remarkable worm unknown to science. But Holmes suspects there is more to the journalist than meets the eye, an affair rather queer, which ultimately renders the case something for which the world is not yet prepared. Now, with the vaults of Cox and Company unlocked and the tin dispatch box opened, The Adventure of the Doctor and the Duelist illuminates a critical turning point in the nature of the intimate friendship of Watson and Holmes. This is also available in PDF download format for $10, print format including U.S. domestic shipping, $15, or print format with international shipping for $20. If you are already a member of the Watson Society or you join before publication in April, you will receive a copy of this as part of your membership. But members can order additional copies and non-members can order copies through the John H. Watson Society shop. And again, the link will be in the show notes. If you are at all familiar with Eleanor Gray's work and Basil Chapp's work, you already know that this is going to be a fantastic collaboration. And I am so looking forward to seeing it. That is, I think, about all of my Sherlockian news for this month, but I promised you yarn. The 221B group on Ravelry recently completed swap 10, although some of the packages are still in the mail, including the one that I sent out to my Watson in Winnipeg, but I got the package from my Sherlock, who happened to be located just up in Northern California, and it was full of goodies, including some beautiful fiber to spin, and some Volmiza yarn to knit with, a pair of lovely red mitts to wear, and some of my favorite tea, Renegade, from Tee Wee Tea in San Francisco. I happen to have a box of Renegade in my tea drawer in the kitchen, so you already know that I enjoy this particular tea, and this came in a metal tin that I will be able to refill when I run out. So it's a lovely package to receive in the mail, and it's probably better that I opened it off microphone so that you didn't have to listen to me squealing when I pulled out the yarn. The package that I sent off to my Watson was astronomy themed, and I did complete the Spiral Stars Cowl by Diane L. Augustine, so a finished object picture is now available on Ravelry. I don't have any other Sherlockian yarn wrangling news this month. I am currently working on a pair of vanilla socks in a self-striping yarn from Canon Hand Dyes. It's the Irene Adler colorway, a black and white stripe with a lipstick red accent for the heels. And that is all for this month's episode of This Tangled Skein, a monthly podcast about yarn tea and Sherlockiana. Not necessarily in that order. You can find the show notes at thistangledskein.com. You can drop me a line at comments at thistangledskein.com or find me on most forms of social media, including Twitter, Instagram, and Ravelry as Plexippa. That's P is in Horlock, L-E-X-I-P-P-A. If you enjoyed the show and you have a few moments, please leave me a review or a star rating on iTunes. Until next month, I bid you goodbye.